Right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, you know how I love my visuals. I like to try to find a video or something to, uh, you know, visually, for those who are better learners, visual learners, that it will be helpful for you instead of just having to listen uh, to me. I do want to give a slight shout out. If, if the commotion happens over there, it's because the Chungs are rushing to the hospital because Hannah is four days late from her due date to have her baby. So you're totally excused if you need to rush to the hospital to give birth. But prayers for um, their first child. It's a boy. And any day, any minute, literally, uh, to pray for them. They're in my life group, so I wanted to have everybody pray for them. Well, as you saw in the video, today is Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday, and it is one of the three most important celebrations for Christians. But it's, this one is the least acknowledged by the world, or even by many Christians. A lot of churches don't even mention it and just kind of go by. As you know, Christmas, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, is very commercialized, and it's celebrated by the world with Santa Claus. Easter, it's a religious thing too, it's the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's also been commercialized, and it's been celebrated by the world with the Easter bunny. But Pentecost, the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's not celebrated by the world. Maybe someday in the future, they'll figure out a way to commercialize it somehow so that, you know, put a figure, a cartoon figure along with it somehow to um, commercialize it and celebrate it as well. But as of yet, um, they don't. A little background on the original Pentecost, as Pastor Q had mentioned earlier. Um, it's the 50th day after Passover. Do you remember the Passover meal, the uh, celebration there? It's a feast. Uh, originally, Pentecost was a feast held at the end of the harvest, the wheat harvest. It's known as the Feast of Weeks. It's also known as the Feast of Harvest. Remember how Jesus and his disciples were gathered together um, to celebrate the Passover meal? Right? They were in the room together with his friends and celebrating the Passover meal. And the Passover was a religious, uh, for the Jews, uh, a festival, a holiday. And then Jesus gave new meaning to the common elements that were on the table, the bread and the wine. He gave new meaning to it. And so now we commemorate and we celebrate it as communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, different names for it. So in that same way, think about this way. These believers were gathered to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. They were there to celebrate. So it's not called Pentecost because of what happened that day. They were together to celebrate Pentecost. But on this particular Pentecost, something different, something absolutely supernatural, something extraordinary and amazing happened. What began as a gathering to celebrate the blessings of the past you know, celebrating, giving thanks for the uh, harvest, became something that transformed their present and their future forever on this one particular Pentecost. The events of the day gave new meaning to the original Pentecost, and now we know it as the day um, that the Holy Spirit was given and that the church was birthed. So we actually count Pentecost Sunday as the church's birthday. It was the birthing of the church when the Holy Spirit was given. It's been said that Pentecost is the Big Bang event. If you guys know your science and the Big Bang uh, theory, some say that it's the Big Bang event that created the Christian church and put God's saving acts through Jesus Christ into motion. 
It all began. Remember, he died, he was resurrected, then he ascended, and then coming of the Holy Spirit catapulted and moved the saving acts through Jesus Christ into motion. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that the church as we know it today was born. The church was given the authority and it was given the power to proclaim the good news and the salvation through Jesus Christ. So chapter 2 of Acts, we're going to go through the whole chapter actually. Chapter 2 of Acts is where we read about Pentecost and this amazing events that transpired that day. But before we do that, I want to look at chapter 1 briefly and to see the events leading up to this. So as I said, Jesus has resurrected. He is alive. So Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was indeed alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oops, went too far. So Jesus continues and he says to his disciples, now in verses 8 and 9, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a very, very oft-quoted verse, so we're all familiar with it. And verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, also known as, has many names, some of them the Comforter, the Advocate, the Counselor, the Helper, the Encourager, the Paraclete. Uh, the Greek word. So all these words for what the Holy Spirit is. This Holy Spirit is the one Jesus promised to send his disciples that he spoke about. Looking at John 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. The rest of Acts chapter 1 tells us that the disciples were staying in an upper room of a house in Jerusalem. And that's why um, we all, you hear the literature and people speak about how the Pentecost event happened in an upper room. They also replaced Judas in the later half of chapter 1. They replaced Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, with a new disciple, uh, Matthias, and so reconstituting the 12. And in verse 14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they were constantly together. They were always meeting together, and they were always in prayer. Verse 15 tells us that there were about 120 believers all together at that time. That's why, again, you'll see a lot of people mention that the first church began with 120 believers, 120. That's where we get that number, verse 15. So now let's look at today's text. You can open your Bibles in your own different translations, minus the NIV, Acts chapter 2. It's kind of a long um, chapter, but it goes quick. So Acts chapter 2. 
it's been 10 days after Jesus' ascension, and he has been taken up into heaven, and it's the day of Pentecost now. So the believers are gathered together. They've been staying in Jerusalem as instructed. Jesus told them, remember, don't leave Jerusalem. Pray and wait. So that's what they've been doing. It's 10 days have passed. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, people are assuming that one place is that upper room. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So the promised Holy Spirit comes. I don't know if this is quite what they expected when Jesus tells them, you know, stay, wait, and pray for the Holy Spirit is going to come, right, and stay. I can't imagine what they're thinking. I mean, the only thing that they have is, you know, um, information from the Old Testament. How did the Holy Spirit come then, like the Spirit of God or the power of God come upon Samson or some of the judges, or how did God come upon various ones? Um, And so I, I can't imagine what they're thinking or hoping and what they're expecting. So I don't know if they really expected this or not. Um, But there's a deafening sound of wind, but no actual wind was blowing. And what appears to be flames, but no actual fire as we know it. The fire that we know that touches and burns out and needs something uh, to burn. Notice that the flames, the tongues of fire separate and they settle on each one of them, each individual. The spirit is given to every believer. Amen. The spirit is given to every believer. Acts 2, 4 through 12. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and um, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own, in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, They asked one another, what does this mean? Now, the other tongues in verse 4 that they're talking about here seems to have been an actual, real, earthly language. Not a heavenly language, not the speaking in tongues, as we we call it. The technical term is glossolalia. Glossolalia, it's like a tongue twister itself. Glossolalia um, is the technical term for it. So, This is a real language, the language spoken by the peoples of the earth. Several biblical scholars, as I was reading background and um, studying this, several biblical scholars recognize this. They go far as to say that this is a reversal of the curse in Genesis 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. Think about that, the connection, the story of the Tower of Babel, when God purposely confused and confounded the language of the peoples of the earth, right? And they were all scattered and their languages were all, you know, confusing them. But here at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit allows the universal message of Jesus Christ to be understood by all, 
all at once, at the same time, in every tongue. There is no barrier to language here. Everyone across the region is able to hear. And the miracle of these believers speaking in other languages is even more profound because of the fact that they were Galileans. Because that they were Galileans. Now, Galileans were looked upon in that time as very uncultured. They were what you would call like country folk, country hicks. They were uneducated. They weren't very highly, you know, in society of education and, and position and things like that. So even more so, they're saying, how were these people speaking in languages that they had not learned? There's no way these people could have learned and become fluent in these languages. And so they ask in verse 12, what does this mean? What does this mean? What, what's happening here? Something amazing, unbelievable is happening here. Some people in the church, um, some in the crowd, make fun of them. And what do they accuse them of? Of being drunk, having had too much wine, right? And so Peter stands up and he begins to speak. This is what he says as he speaks. He says, Peter stood up um, with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will uh, be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every time I read this, I guess goosebumps. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter continues speaking, and he quotes from, as you um, read here, he quotes from Joel, uh, the Old Testament prophet, very famous passage there, and he goes on, and he quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 16, he quotes from Psalm 110. People are even more amazed by this. Why? Because this Galilean fisherman, unlearned, he's a fisherman by trade, he's quoting and interpreting scripture just like one of the rabbis just like one of the rabbis. Peter explains what happened to them, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the people. It's so obvious that the Holy Spirit is enabling him and is allowing him, empowering him to understand and interpret the scriptures in ways that he could never have done before, in a new way, in such a way that these listeners will understand the significance of Jesus Christ. I think that is so crucial. Right? If you think about it, it's the Holy Spirit in him that's enabling him to be able to interpret the scriptures like the rabbis who've studied for years and years and years, enabling him to be able to quote as he's memorized. Um, I don't think at this point he has memorized the Hebrew scriptures, but he's able to quote directly from it enough and in such a way to present the gospel that the listeners are able to understand the significance of Jesus Christ. Because remember, Jesus Christ was among them. They're the ones that crucified him. But he is speaking it now in such a way for them to understand. Not only is Peter given the power to speak, but you can see that all his fear and hesitation 
our God. This in itself is a miracle as well. We know Peter. He is speaking with great boldness, boldness that we have never seen from him before, right? With eloquence that we have never heard from him before. What a difference from the image that we have of the disciples hiding away for fear of the Jews. After Jesus has been uh, crucified, right? They're all in hiding. Therefore, they close the door and, you know, staying away from the windows. The fear that is there, right? Of Peter previously denying. He's so afraid that he denies Jesus Christ. And now look at him. Nothing short of miraculous, supernatural, empowering can uh, make him do this. So Peter is now openly standing up in the middle of Jerusalem, calling people to repentance, and he's telling them that they are the ones that put Jesus, the true Messiah, to death. He is calling them out. And you have to remember, he doesn't know how this is going to end. They could start stoning him. They, a riot could happen, and him and the rest of the disciples could be killed or run out of town. He doesn't know. This boldness, newfound boldness, where he's standing before them, proclaiming Jesus Christ, and even saying, Jesus was the Messiah, and y'all killed him. And he is saying that to them. The Holy Spirit is fully upon Peter and fully upon all the other disciples. But look what else is happening. The Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of the listeners, the hearts of the hearers. This is going to be good news for us. Look at verses 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Other translations said that they were pierced in the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, I know Pastor Q has been talking about revival been talking about the history of revival and great awakening, this could be considered the first great revival. The first great revival. The conversion of 3,000 souls? Come on! We hear about those Billy Graham crusades and things like that where he fills stadiums and, you know, the big evangelists where, you know, even from home you're watching TV, put your hand on the TV screen and, you know, people are becoming saved and slain in their living rooms and, and all these things are happening. This is the first great revival, conversion of 3,000 souls in Jerusalem that day. The church grew from 120 to 3,120 in that day. And we know that from verse 47 later on, that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it went beyond just this 3,000. The Lord was adding to their numbers day by day. It was an ongoing thing, those who were being saved. The Lord was adding to their numbers. This is why it's good news for us. The Lord was adding to their numbers. Now, we do our part. We preach, we proclaim, we testify, we share, we witness. We do what we are called to do. We evangelize, and we do this. But it's God 
It's the Holy Spirit that pierces the hearts of the listeners. And the Holy Spirit not only empowers the disciples and empowers us to be able to witness and testify, share, and evangelize, but it is the Holy Spirit that converts the listeners. Amen? So a lot of times we are so filled with fear and we're so filled with, with just you know, doubt and, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we testify, we get up in the middle of Jerusalem, we get up in the middle of College Park, in the middle of Clarksville, and we say what we must say, not knowing what the consequences might be, being dragged off by the police because, you know, there's a crazy person um, preaching in hell and brimstone, I don't know. But we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to do this, and it is the power of the Holy Spirit that pierces the hearts of the listeners. So if there's 10 people listening and the one heart gets pierced, that's the Holy Spirit, and the salvation comes to that one person. The last few verses of Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love, 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 and this is a favorite of many, I'm sure. I love it. The NIV captions this part, this portion. It captions it, the fellowship of the believers. The NLT, which is the New Living Translation, it captions it, the believers form a community. So the fellowship of the believers or the believers form a community. Here you see how the Holy Spirit begins to shape them into a real community, a true representation of God's people being the body of Christ, of God's people being the church. This is where it all starts to form. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love, love, love this picture of this community, this fellowship of believers, the first church gatherings and these meetings. And we need to realize that the early church community in Acts, this same community that we're reading about here, we belong to, that we are also part of the same community. We here, Hope Church, meeting in Clarksville right now, 12 noon, We meeting here today is part of the same universal church, the same community. We're part of the same church that began on Pentecost Sunday all those years ago. We have the same Holy Spirit, for God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews um, 13.8 says. And like the early church, we too should be reflecting the sort of community that God desires for his people. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon them in this way, this is how the people were acting. This is how the church was forming. And we too also need to be a body of Christ that is centered around the worship of God, the proclaiming of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we too should be a community that cares for one another in practical ways, in real ways, not in word only. And, you know, when there's a real need and we say, oh, brother, I'll pray for you or I'll pray about that. 
you know, a lot of times we, now that we have all these chat rooms, Kakao, Line, text message, messenger, whatever, we put up prayer requests and, and things like that. But, and we're like, of course, yeah, praying or yes, or put up the emoji of two hands, pray, whatever, to just let them know I, I got the prayer request, I'm on it, right? But some of these things, we could just get into our car, drive over there and help them. Some of these things will move us in real ways, you know, to be able to, all right, done, Venmo you some money. You know, if it's something like, oh, I've got, I need help with this. Can you pray that this, this will, and then you Venmo them money. You know, in practical ways that we are able to help one another, to lift up the weak, to share our resources with one another in meaningful ways. Because this was literally what they were doing. They were selling their positions and they were sharing with one another all who had need. It wasn't a figurative language here. We too should be a community where God's glory is seen and where people hear God's call to turn back to him. So what does Pentecost mean for us today? That was my title. What does it mean? It's far too easy for us to dismiss the events of that day as a one-time deal, as a one-time thing. Such a supernatural event, the Holy Spirit coming so powerfully, so tangibly, that is written about in the Bible, the sound of the wind, the tongues of flame and fire, thousands of people being converted in one shot, people hearing different uh, languages. But the rest of the book of Acts contains very strong testimony to the fact that the filling of the Holy Spirit was an ongoing gift. It was not a one-time thing, thank God, and it continues today. It's not just a one-time event. And the challenge for the church is to be able to constantly, listen to this, to be able to constantly present opportunities for the Holy Spirit to break through. Let me say that again. The challenge for the church is to be able to constantly present opportunities for the Holy Spirit to break through, for that power to be made manifest. I'm going to break that down for you a little bit. As Pastor Bill Johnson says, I found this quote from Pastor Bill Johnson. Our greatest privilege in life is to learn to be a person, and I'm adding in quotes as my adding, to be a church, a people's group that God will rest upon. He is in all of us by covenant and will never leave, but he is not upon all of us. The challenge we face is to learn to be a people, a church or a community who hosts the presence of the Lord as our greatest calling in life. While he is in me for my sake, he is upon me for yours. Do you guys get that? Holy Spirit is in me for my sake and for my belief, my faith and my relationship with God. He is upon me. For yours. This includes the gifts of the spirits, the manifestations, and other things, it is for the edification, building up of others. When the Lord rests upon a person or a church or community, there is actually an atmospheric change that takes place wherever that person goes or wherever that church is located. When the prevailing atmosphere is the presence of God Himself, hunger is created in the hearts of people. It is normal to hunger for God. It is normal to hunger for God. It's like Moses said in Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. I know Pastor Q often quotes it. Basically, if your presence does not go with us, we're not going. We don't want to go. Why would we go somewhere where your presence is not going to go with us? And I think that's what we're doing here with the Holy Fire Baptismal Revival. 
The question has been asked, why are we doing this? Y'all crazy. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? This Holy Spirit, Holy Fire, I can't even get the title, Holy Fire Baptismal Revival. It's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to break through. It's an opportunity for Hope Church to host his presence. It's for hunger to be created in the hearts of the people for more. When we put on, I keep saying it's not an event, it's not an event, but just for this description, when we put on something like this, when we host the presence of God in such a large event such as this, it's live streamed and all this that's happening, it is to increase the hearts of the people for more, for hunger of him. It creates a hunger. It's for Hope Church to learn, to step into how to steward and host the presence of the Holy Spirit as a community. It's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and break through. Now, with all this said, it's confession time. I have a confession. I'm, I'm going to get personal here. My confession is that when we did this, and you know, in the beginning we found out that we had to do this, <laughs> Pastor Shin, I hope he's not listening. Pastor Shin, it was very the driving force behind this, and we really didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, Pastor Shin, Pastor Q, and a few others, um, you know, who was very involved with the Georgia revivals there, um, you know, said, hey, the, the pastors are coming to the DMV area, and um, tag, you're it. Hope Church, you're going to host this. And we we're like, we are? So a little background story of how it all came to be. And of course, you know, there was hemming and hawing because elders and the leadership were like, what is this? Can we do this? This is crazy. We don't have a baptismal pool. Um, how do we advertise this? What if thousands show up like they're doing in Georgia? We have to hire security. We have to, this is unbudgeted funds. We didn't know about this last year in October when we made the budget for 2019. Well, you know, all these logistical things were coming to our mind. And we're like, we can't do this. We don't want to do this. You know, just all these kind of things, right? And so, you know, it all worked out. Of course, we worried about money because this is money that the church, from your offerings and stuff. But as a leadership, we're tasked with choosing where this money goes, prayerfully and discerning. And so we said, yes, all the money in our savings account, if it doesn't go for something like this, what's it good for sitting in a savings account? It's for times like this. Thank God we've got savings. Thank God we got money to use this. So money was the least of our worries. Our worry was, can we pull this off? The practicalness of getting this pulled together and everything, you know? And as you kind of heard different things, the pool itself, the stairs, the pumping. We had a tanker truck come in, pump the water. You guys don't use a, you know, a hose from the sink to fill that pool of water. So a you know, tanker truck came in and pumped it. And the, the pool alone, the setup and all, was about $2,000. You know? So it wasn't cheap. And just everything that went with it. So my confession is, all right, we're going to do this. I'm one of the pastors of Hope Church. I mean, we're going to do this, and i got to be gung-ho about this. So we did it. But let me just tell you, it was a two-day event, two-night event, all-night event. And at the end of it on uh, Thursday, so we did it all Wednesday. We didn't leave until like three, past three in the morning. And then come Thursday, and we meet again. During the day, we met with the pastors from Georgia, had lunch and a private meeting with them and stuff. And then, um, so it wasn't like I slept in and stayed in bed until I had to come Thursday night for the next revival meeting. So Thursday, um, after it ended around 3 o'clock-ish again in the morning, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I had tears in my eyes. 
I was so tired, I literally wanted to cry. I was so physically, emotionally, and mentally tired. I have never been so tired in my life. I sat down uh, right over there where that pole is. I sat down. I couldn't literally get back up, so I had to roll myself on my side to be able to push myself up. Anne saw me, and Anne started busting out laughing at me because she saw that. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I can't get up. I had to roll myself to push off the ground and get up. I looked around. I saw all the... This is now Thursday, so the event's over. I looked around and saw all the chairs that needed to be put away. I saw the pool that needed to be drained. I saw the trash that needed to be picked up everywhere. I saw the towels everywhere that needed to be washed. I saw the water in the men's changing room. By the way, we use those two rooms as the men's and women's changing room. If you were not here, you wouldn't know. Covered, the floor covered with water. I saw all this that needed to be done, and I wanted to weep. I was so physically tired. And I was like, I just wanted to go home. I didn't want to help. <laughs> but then there were people like Dapu and, and um, um, what is your name? Keith. And um, there were others, Mark, uh, Daniel, I told you, with the nosebleed, just sticking tissue up into his nosebleed, working, you know, just feverishly. All the uh, other elders, you know, taking home ginormous bags of trash bags. You know how wet, blank, wet uh, towels are so heavy? Ta taking that home so that they can wash it. Joy's harmonium. Just... And so, of course, I couldn't just sit there and cry. I couldn't say, I'm, I'm leaving now. Good luck with the cleanup, you know? And so... I was like, we're never doing this again. For me, it was, it was a no. And so when I found out that we are going to do this again at the end of July, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I had this, this struggle within myself. I had, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I had a struggle with myself. And I was like, oh, we have to do things differently. We got to rethink this. Just all in my mind, all these things. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I confessed, this is a really good friend of mine, and I confessed to her, I was like, I don't think I can do this again. And I'll be honest, I don't want to do it again. And it's just too hard. And this is my friend says to me, she goes, I think it's kind of like giving birth. She goes, you know, after you give birth, you don't ask the woman, you want to have another baby? It's too soon. It's too soon from the event. Too soon. You got to wait. You got to wait a while. And then you're like, oh, you want another baby, don't you? And then you'll be like, yeah, I could have another one, you know? It's just too soon. So they were like, they gave me grace. My friend gave me grace and said, it's okay to be tired. Y'all work like crazy. It's okay to feel the way you feel. She affirmed me and said, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up about this. But, you know, we'll ask you again in a few weeks, ready to do it again. But for right now, it's okay to feel this bad. But this confession ends on a good note. Then Taeyeon, Taeyeon's sister's testimony, and different testimonies were coming in, different testimonies about people who came to that event because Hope Church said yes to host this event. Testimonies are coming in about people, particularly Taeyeon's sister's story where, you know, she grew up in the church. She won some evangelism prize even in Korea when she was younger. She grew up in the church, but from, you know, when she immigrated here, she fell away and hadn't been to church since, since she started living in the States and just church was not important to her and all this other stuff and how people, her friends encouraged her to come. And because we had this event, an unusual event, not your ordinary one, that various ones told her about and said, you need to check it out. Because we said yes, and she was able to come, her life was changed. 
The Holy Spirit met her. Her son got healed of eczema. She uh, just completely was, you know, absolutely filled with the Spirit and just... You know, she is returning to the Lord. She uh, quickly, the next text I got from Taeyeon, because I'm in an um, Oasis women's Bible study group with her, was like, all right, give me a list of names of churches in Virginia. My sister lives in Virginia. She's looking for a church, looking for a church just like Hope Church. I was like, ain't no church just like Hope Church. But okay, you know. And so she's like, give me church names. And we're like trying to think of different, you know, churches in Virginia that her sister can go to. The story of Taeyeon's sister. And then I said, what is it that I would not be willing to do? What is it that I cannot do for that one person to come and meet the Lord? What if that one person was my sister? Hit me hard. Hit me so hard. Because we hosted this event, Taeyeon's sister, what if someone somewhere somehow says, yes, it's so hard, it's so expensive, or it's so this and that, but they were able to put on and host this event. And somehow, some way, my sister went to that event and was touched. When I thought about that and got convicted in my heart, you know, it was like I jumped up and I was like, all right, let's do it every night. I was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, you know. My entire attitude changed. Thinking about that one two, three, if it, it's, you know, I would appreciate more than one. But even if it's just that one, even if it was only Tan's sister's testimony that came through, if that one was my sister, what is it that I would not do? What is it that I wouldn't crawl on the ground, get myself back up and do it again the next night if I knew my sister was going to come? Or anyone whose sister or brother or family member or neighbor or coworker was going to come. And because we said yes, because Hope Church said that we're going to host his presence, and we're going to, it's hard, yes. It costs money, yes, but we're going to do this. And that was just the confession and, and just the change that came over me when I thought about that. Incredible, incredible. I don't know if I have a time for another confession or not, but uh, everybody will see my other confession. All right. So this is the other confession. As, you, as most of you saw on the video live stream, you saw me manifest. A few comments about that. I rarely manifest. I can count on one hand the times that I have absolutely, involuntarily, physically manifested like that. I can count on, on one hand. So if you saw the video, as certain groups watched, rewind it three times, um, the, the thing was, and again, I'll be honest, I was super embarrassed. I was also a little bit um, ashamed or embarrassed. This is me telling you guys the truth. Um, because, again, I rarely manifest. And for me, I'm all about, I like to be in control. I'm a pastor. I like to have things orderly. And it's great when I see other people manifesting and just enjoying and stuff like that. But I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to uh, lose control or seemingly look like I'm losing control. I, I don't want to appear that way. I need to kind of help other people who are you know, doing that. And, and so I rarely manifest. But that day in the pool when I kept um, um, slamming into the water, jerking for it was involuntary. I was not doing it. I was not enjoying it. That, that water was dirty. And so there were things floating in it, but my head kept slamming into the water. And I don't know how to swim. So I don't know how to breathe and not breathe when the water, when your head's in the water. You know how you have to blow out? And I don't know how to do that. So my head is slamming into the water, and I'm trying to make it stop, but my head keeps slamming. 
and I'm trying to breathe without sucking in the water. I'm trying to breathe. I feel like I'm drowning, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to meet Jesus tonight. I'm going to drown in this. I was like, oh, Jesus really wants to call me home. So I'm like, I'm going to drown. It's going to be televised. And so um, someone later said, no one there's no death by baptism. No one ever died from baptism. But uh, so I was do- when I was doing that, trying to breathe and not suck in the water and all that stuff, right? And then afterwards, um, like I said, I was embarrassed. And so I was like this, and I just didn't want to look at people, right? Then I was trying to process it that whole week. I was trying to process it, process it, and be like, oh, my gosh, you know, what does it mean? And why me? And oh, my goodness. And now people are going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think Hope Church Pastor is crazy um, and all this stuff. But, again, the timing of God is just absolutely amazing. After the, um, that revival happened, that meeting, the next Bible study, Oasis Women out there, the next Bible study that we had on Thursday morning, it's the mom's group of Bible study, we studied... Um, uh, David's wife, Michal. Michal is the uh, Saul's daughter and the wife of David. And the story was 2 Samuel chapter 6, where um, David is bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And he is dancing with all his might. He's, you know, going crazy and, and doing all this and just going crazy. And his wife, who is watching from the window and sees her husband, the king, acting in this way. And it says, the Bible says that she despised him. And then she says to him, look at you. Look at you. You're the king and you're going to disrobe and, and act like this craziness. And you're like a fool. You know, you're not acting your position. You're not acting... What, you know, the appearance of it all. I mean, this is craziness. And what does David say? I will become more undignified than this. I will be, I will, uh, be humiliated in my eyes. And this is because for the glory of God and nothing will stop him from worshiping. That was such a timely word for me as well, that Bible study, that we would study that uh, uh, randomly out of all that we studied that. And the word spoke to me. I will become more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my eyes. And I thought that was the thing, was I was feeling humiliated, embarrassed, and, and, and things like that, because I rarely manifest in that way. And so I was thinking about me, me, me. What, how does that look? How are people going to see me? Yes, I know Mimi's my name, most selfish name in the universe. So really, it's all about me, 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 me. And so that's what I was thinking about and not thinking that other people, like even Daniel, when I saw him later, he was like, Pastor Rumi, I saw you on the screen upstairs because he was upstairs. He said, I saw you on the screen. There was no audio, so they didn't get to hear me screaming. There was screaming that went along with the, you know, but he was like, I saw you. And he was like, wow, you were being so blessed. So again, I'm thinking about just me and my humiliation and embarrassment, but he was seeing it and I'm sure others were seeing and being blessed to see their pastor being blessed and being moved by the Spirit. So it's not about me, me, me. All right, enough of confession time. But wanting to tell you and kind of work through these last couple weeks since the um, baptismal revival and stuff like that, that Pentecost, this was the day today 
This was the day in history that Jesus' promise of sending the Holy Spirit was fulfilled. This is the day that the church came alive and was birthed. This is the day that the Old Testament promise of God to pour out his spirit upon all peoples, both men and women, young and old, was fulfilled. The disciples that day, they were accused of, they were accused of uh, being drunk or being full of too much wine. Some people today may think that we're crazy or that I was full of wine that day in the water. You know, some people may accuse Hope Church of what is up with you guys? You guys are drunk. You guys are crazy. You guys are, you know, acting non-biblical or even, dare I say, cultish or heretical. But I want to say at least they're noticing us. At least they're noticing us. There is a spiritual stirring. There are conversations happening. There are people talking about it, wanting to know more, wanting to press in to find out if really Hope Church is some crazy cult or what is it about this? What's happening there? People are pressing in. People are noticing. And I believe that God can work with even that. Because we are in good company. If people think that we're drunk, that we're crazy, They thought that of the first disciples on Pentecost Day. We're in good company. So let's all stand together. On this Pentecost Sunday, if you'd like to experience the full power of the Holy Spirit that the disciples experienced on that day, or if if it's been a while and you need a fresh touch, if you need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit, today's the day. Today's the best day. It's Pentecost Sunday. If you are wanting more, if you look at your life and you think that your day-to-day, everyday Christian life looks more like the disciples before that Pentecost Sunday than it does after Pentecost Sunday, you need to ask yourself why. And ask for more. A word about the manifestations of other things. Manifesting and spiritual giftings in no way indicates our spiritual level or spiritual maturity. It does not. Have you all seen Pastor Q manifest? Dare I say that he has spiritual authority and that he has spiritual maturity? Have you seen Richard manifest? Have you seen Nuhun, my husband? There are people who don't. So it is in no way an indicator of how spiritual, how mature someone is. And some of us, as Pastor Q reminded me, we, all of us, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But there's two camps. People who want the physical manifestations and they want to move in the spiritual gifts. They want this, they want this, they desire, they crave it, ask for it, but it seems like it's not manifesting. They have the Holy Spirit, but the gifts and the manifestations are not coming. They want it. Then there's this camp that I was a part of. We don't want it. It's too much. It's painful. It makes us look foolish. It disrupts my life. Um, You know, Susan, I'm going to call her out. She doesn't want to be rolling around on the dirty floor all the time. The floor is dirty. But, it's, you know, I'm not saying she doesn't want it, but there's those who are embarrassed by it, who are wanting to pass the plate and not desiring it and not wanting it. So it is no indication of your spiritual maturity or your level. What it is boils down to two things. All of Ten Commandments boils down to two things. Love God and love neighbor. 
manifestations, filling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit allows us to encounter God in a special way, to love God, to worship God better and more, and on the various different resources and avenues and, and, and faculties. And it should allow us to love neighbor more, to edify, to prophesy, to encourage, to give words of wisdom, to discern. It is for the mutual edification and building up of the body. It is so that I can love people more boils down to these two things when it comes to these spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit. And you have to want it. You have to want it. You cannot say, I'm all right just being my quiet Sunday Christian. I don't need my life to be so disrupted. If you are a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have to want it. And it is for everyone, thank God. It is for everyone. So if you want it, and it is for you, we're going to sing the song and just hands open wide, arms out, hands open wide, and receive what he has for you today.